Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshop.net. Episode 59 Pay Grants Based on the Current Enrollment Rather Than the Previous Year. When I was writing the script uh, for this episode uh, a couple of years ago, um, I, I was saying by the time I got to this episode, it would be likely that my school wouldn't be a developing school for the very first time. Um, after, I suppose, 15 years in existence, uh, I, my assumption would be that my school would finally be a two-stream primary school and our enrolment numbers should hopefully uh, have been steady for the foreseeable future and we'd know how much money we'd be getting every year. Because as a developing school, you may not know that any grants that are given to primary schools are based on their enrolment in the previous year rather than the current year that they're in. This directly affects all developing schools negatively, so in this episode I'm actually going to focus on developing schools and the disadvantages of being a developing school, and I'm going to explore um, when this happens and if I were the Minister for Education, how I would pay grants based on a school's current enrolment rather than its previous one. Hello, hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshah.net. This is Simon Lewis. This is another one of these episodes I'm kind of dreading doing because, um, not because of the topic at all, I don't think that's controversial, but how do you spend half an hour talking about something as simple as this? You could really say the title should be the length of the podcast because basically it makes absolute sense. Um, but for those of you who are new to the podcast, I just want to tell you a little bit about it um, because it's been a while since I've described you know, its, its context and its history and that kind of thing. Um, the idea of this podcast came from a project I did about four years ago where I listed and I blogged um, about 130 things that I would do if I were the Minister for Education. Um, and most of those articles uh, that I wrote were very, very short. Um, but some of them were really teeny tiny. I mean, maybe one or two sentences long. And the idea of the podcast was to kind of delve a little deeper into those ideas from back then um, and maybe even look at any changes have been made since, uh, since I suppose, four or five years, maybe even six years ago now when I started that project, and uh, try to explore them in more detail. However, some of the ideas are so basic, such as this one, that I've often toyed with the idea of maybe doing an episode where I'd simply um, read the title of the podcast, stop for a second, and then end the episode and post it up on a Friday evening just for the crack. I was actually thinking about doing one at the end of, um, of this year. I'm recording this in June 2020 uh, to celebrate all the achievements of the INTO during the COVID-19 pandemic and doing, uh, basically doing something like that. Uh, but that's probably very mean. And even if it's true, um, you know, it's still mean. Um, I might do it anyway. I know I won't. I won't. I won't. That's, it's not fair. I, 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 tend, I don't want to be mean when I do these podcasts. And that was the first mean thought I think I've ever had. So my apologies. Anyway, as you've probably guessed from the title, the government are a sneaky bunch of sneaky sneaks, always trying to sneak away to save a bit of money wherever they can. 
For example, they give the NCSE a bit of money every year to make sure they save millions of more money on funding for children for, uh, with, uh, for children with additional needs. For example, they make cuts left, right and centre and when the union make a grumbling noise, they give back a little bit of what they took away before the union fall asleep again. As we saw on a number of occasions, I suppose the one that jumps out at me straight away is the moratorium on the post of responsibility, um, which uh, the government basically um, imposed around 20, was 2009 um, and they returned them back to about 50% in 2016 um, and now they're at about 52% of what they were in 2009 um, and I mean so they basically had about five years of saving um, you know a few a few euro rather than a lot of rather than all of the euro and the INTO um, basically reacted uh, about that the only reason for the 50% coming back was the INTO uh, made uh, the, I think it's the last time they did anything was they pulled out of SSE, oh yes, they went hard, um, of SSE, uh, unless the post of responsibility were all given back. And when the government gave not all of them back, only about 50% of them back, they uh, said, oh, okay, fine, there you go, we'll do all the work again. And uh, for the last five years, uh, we've been working on half capacity uh, in terms of management in school management, yet we are expected to do 100% of SSE. I'm quite surprised the INTO just simply didn't say, okay, fair enough, uh, if you're not going to give the uh, po uh, post of responsibility back uh, in full, uh, if you're only going to give us half of them, well, maybe we'll give you half of SSE, um, or maybe we just won't give you any at all, which might be better, because, um, you know, the, the compromise means compromise on both sides of things. So anyway, enough about that. But even this year, the Department of Education, with another example, they're managing to penny pinch their way through CO2 monitors. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, and you might be listening to this in the future, um, it's just, I just, it's so bad. It's near, it's, it's, it, it's not funny at all. It's, it's awful. Um, but basically, um, because it, uh, basically with uh, COVID nineteen, um, where ventilation uh, is, um, has been called upon as the most effective uh, measure against uh, the virus because uh, it's an airborne virus. Um, uh, the Department of Education have quite admitted that it's an airborne virus, uh, but uh, at the same time, they've uh, finally, after a year, uh, after a year, they are supplying CO two monitors for classrooms to be able to measure the amount of CO two in the air, uh, which apparently uh, tells you how much COVID nineteen is in the air. Or there, sorry, not it doesn't say that at all. Sorry, that's not what it does. It it it's it shows how much. Uh, CO2 is in the air, and if there's a lot, it means the ventilation isn't good, which means that uh, COVID-19 can spread uh, more easily. And uh, you would expect, uh, given uh, the, the, the pandemic uh, of this, they would supply a CO2 monitor to every classroom in the country, but uh, no, uh, they're not doing that at all. They are uh, only supplying schools with a few CO2 monitors, maybe one between two or three classrooms, uh, if you're in a primary school at least. However, you might not know that if you're a developing school, every single year of your existence, you are screwed over financially by the Department of Education. Your capitation grants and your ancillary grant is 70% um, based on your enrolment for the previous year, for example, and only the 30% uh, that's paid in June is based on this current year's allocation. 
Uh, I mean, looking at the capitation grant alone, if your school develops by one class size, it means that you're down over 4,000 euro in a year than you should be getting in your capitation grant if it was based on your current year's allocation. For schools, 4,000 euro might not seem a lot of money for some people, but for schools, it's a significant, a significant amount of money. However, if you add in the ancillary grant into the mix, the minor works grant, the ICT grant, and every other grant that we seem to get, you could be down the bones of 10,000 euro just as a punishment for growing inside, in size. It's a real penny-pinching job, and there's just really no reason for it. I, 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 I'll get into the reason for it, um, but it's not a valid reason in the 21st century. Because the Department of Education have been challenged on this, to be fair. Um, although I can't remember exactly who asked the question. The answer is, of course, rather pitiful. Uh, and I'm going to call it the Norma Foley rule. Um, and um, if you ask Norma Foley, you know, and this is the reason for the Norma Foley rule. If you ask Norma Foley any question, just try asking her any question as a radio presenter or anything else like that. She is going to give you an entirely unsatisfactory answer over and over again until you give up asking the question. I'll give you some examples later. However, for this particular problem, the answer to why they award grants on the previous year's enrolments was that the civil servants in there don't have the time to be waiting for the enrolments on the 30th September to be able to pay the current year's grant. So they just don't, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, like, it, it just makes no sense. So let's say you, you go from 200 pupils to 230 pupils on the 30th of September. There's absolutely no reason why they can't pay the capitation grant, like backdate the capitation grant for those 30 pupils. Um, you know, when they pay the second uh, moiety, as they call it, in June, or even before that. Like, it's all computerized. It's not like they're sitting there with pen and paper, I, I hope. Um, but that's the answer they give. And so basically, the radio presenter or the union or whoever might be asking the question. And the Norma Foley effect is basically to say the same thing over and over again. Now, it's just as Norm, Norma Foley. Uh, this is, uh, she's only doing what the Secretary General uh, tells her to, to say. And uh, so effectively, it's him that's saying it. Maybe I shouldn't call it the Norma Foley rule. She's just very good at, ra uh, at um, parroting whatever um, Shauna Faudu tells her to say. Uh, and nobody, weirdly enough, ever follows up her, her answers with, um, sorry, that makes no sense, uh, Minister. Could you, could you um, explain, you know, why you can't actually pay the money properly? Or what the heck are you talking about? Or that's completely ludicrous. Anyway, I'm calling it the Norma Foley rule. Here's another example of the Norma Foley rule in action. When she was asked about teaching RSE in Catholic schools recently, again, I'm, this is, uh, I'm recording this as there's a little bit of a flourish around the Flourish programme. Now, I haven't recorded an episode of this podcast um, about this um, RSE programme yet, uh, and I might get to it at some point, but I, I almost admire how Norma Foley explains the obvious problem of Flourish. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Flourish, it's the new RSE curriculum for Catholic schools. And, um, oh, sorry, when I say curriculum, I mean programme. Sorry, sorry, I, I, sorry, sorry, when I say programme, resource. Sorry, yes, the CPMS, CPSMA uh, basically uh, released this as a curriculum. And when everyone went, what? 
they changed to program. And then when everyone kept saying, what? They said, oh, no, no, it's just an optional resource. Uh, but when the, it was promoted, anyway, it's being heavily promoted by the CPSMA, which is the Catholic management body, for schools, um, Catholic schools to teach uh, RSE, or sex education, for those of you with a certain vintage. Now, the program... Uh, teaches RSE from a Catholic perspective, which would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that 90% of schools are run to a Catholic ethos. And the and because of that, 90% uh, of children go to these schools, at least 90% of children go to these schools. And um, or maybe that's not quite fair, but a, a large percentage of children go to Catholic schools. I think it's probably about 85% of children go to Catholic schools. Um, and um, they're taught an RSE program through a Catholic lens, um, which wouldn't be a problem if they didn't teach, you know, guff. Um, like, because, like, for example, it cannot be omitted that marriage is between a man and a woman you know, things like that, or that puberty is a gift from God. Um, and to be fair to it, uh, I mean, these are, by the way, probably two of the more uh, famous uh, sort of sentences from, that, from the curriculum program, resource, whatever they want to call it. But to be fair to it, um, and I'm, I'm not defending it here at all, it's no different to the previous teaching of the RSC curriculum since, I would say, 1997. It's always been this way. And in case you might be wondering what my opinion on it is, which I'm sure uh, won't surprise you, for me... It's basically just another reason why religion shouldn't be involved in the running of schools. However, because this country seems to have this absolute bizarre attachment to allowing their children, and other people's children for that matter, no matter what their beliefs are, to be indoctrinated in this one faith, well, if you are in the club, and this is the way, and this is how I look at it, and I don't agree with this, I don't even agree with myself a little bit, but if you are doing nothing about the system, and if, you know, you and you happily send your child to uh, the... Uh, I'm not saying people who are forced to send uh, their children to these schools, but if you happily send your children to the school, you have no right to give out um, about the RSE curriculum being taught. Because when you join a club, you have to follow the rules of that club. Um, and if you're, for but now, if you're forced to be in that club because there's no other options, um, I, would, I would suggest that doing absolutely nothing is almost as bad as being part of it. Now, I, I, I mean, that, that's harsh. I mean, that's really, really harsh. And I, and I absolutely feel very, very sorry for people who have to send their children into a school where they're discriminated against on a daily basis. But even making the smallest gesture help, you don't have to do what I did. I mean, what I did was, before I even thought about having children, well, actually, I had thought about having children because I probably wouldn't have done it otherwise. When, I, when myself and Roz were, wanted to have children, we noticed the place that we were living in did not have a school that wasn't denominational. So we spent three years campaigning to ensure and try and force an, uh, the government to build an Educate Together school in our town, which thankfully after three years they did. And then a, number, and a few years later, when Emrys was born, we had a school that we were able to send him to that he wouldn't be discriminated against on a daily basis. Now, I'm not saying that every parent who is in a village, in a tiny village, I'm, I was in a, in a town, so it was fairly, it, it, you know, it, it was possible to do this. But I'm not saying every tiny village needs, uh, if you're in a, in, a, in a tiny village, that you campaign to get a, an Educate Together school in your little village. But what I am saying is do something. Do something. Don't just sit there and, or, you know, uh, and, and, and say nothing. Opt your kid out. Put a message through. Complain to your TD. Um, and, and this is the thing. Sign up to a website like optingout.ie. Join education equality. Do something. Because if you don't do anything, then nothing will change. And 
I, I, sorry, I'm lecturing now, uh, and I'm actually not giving out to people who send their kids to Catholic schools quite happily. I'm sending the ones that don't send their kids quite happily. Um, and uh, anyway, that's 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 me ranting, um, as I often do when it comes to things uh, relating to religion. Um, but uh, and I know it's hard, and I, I know I'm being harsh, and I know I am very privileged that I had the resources to enable me to have that fight and have that commitment and afford to have that commitment to be able to try and set up, um, uh, you know, to campaign for, for three years for a school for my children or my child, my children that didn't have my child and, um, and for other people's uh, children uh, 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 who may have wanted the same thing. Um, if you don't practice any part of Catholicism outside of your child's school, I... You know, one of the things I, I, I just find bizarre is there's a huge number of people that send their children to a Catholic school, quite happily as well, so you're getting your given out to now. And outside of the child's school, they don't take part in any form of Catholicism. And to me, I just find this bizarre. Why would you put your child through these very important rite of passages, the sacraments, communion, confirmation, if you don't believe in the message of it. You sit in a church and make promises that you've no intention of keeping. And I wouldn't mind, like, and the thing is, if it didn't affect anyone else, you know, that's all your business, you can do what you want. But by doing this, you keep Catholic faith formation going in schools and then you get an RSE programme in your school, which effectively others and puts, people, uh, puts LGBT uh, families as second-class citizens. It puts single-parent uh, single, uh, families as second-class citizens because, again, the only way to, uh, to produce children is in the sanctity of a marriage between a woman and a man. You don't. You also have to let your child listen to things that puberty is a gift from God, or that if you feel unsafe, you should say a prayer to the angels um, and things like that. Which nobody, not many people these days, um, really, you know, buy. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm. By the way, I'm not. This is not targeted towards uh, practicing Catholics who believe this. And again, I don't care what you believe um, uh, at all. I mean, if you want to believe in anything. Uh, that's that's none of my business. But when it, when these things affect other people, then it becomes hugely problematic. And um, I just don't really understand it. I mean, I had a friend who campaigned vigorously for marriage equality um, back in 2016. If you remember, um, the Catholic Church were against marriage equality because it cannot be omitted that the sanctity of marriage is only between a man and a woman. And you will have, uh, and you, and, and, and you may, you know, I know this is five years ago from this recording. It was, it was the church's stance, the Catholic church's stance. And these campaigners, and this is my friend being one of them, spent her time giving out stink about the Catholic church, about the patriarching, and effing and blinding about them all the way up to referendum day and celebrating by a massive rant on Facebook about how that, how they, they kill the patriarchy and this is a great victory and so on and so forth and the next day and I'm don't I'm not kidding because it, 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 I'm absolutely there's no word of a lie on the 25th of May 2016 she was out celebrating a marriage equality and the 26th of May she was standing at the altar with her daughter in a communion dress and um, full communion regalia and 
you know, what? What's that about? You know, and this is why, you know, I have a problem. It's also why I never get asked to go to things um, or get to speak anywhere. And um, anyway, back to sex and sex education. Because if there's anything that the Catholic Church seemed to be most obsessed with, it seems to be sex. So when Norma Foley was questioned about the fact that the Flourish program directly excludes LGBT plus families and families that are not the product of a married couple, this is exactly what she said, or at least she read. This is in the chuck. This is in the, this is in the doll. This isn't like um, she didn't just answer it off the cuff. This is in the P's and Q's or whatever they're called, <laughs> the the questions and answer sections in the doll. She said, it is important to note that the ethos of the school should never preclude learners from acquiring the knowledge about the issues, but ethos may influence how that content is treated. Now, if you listen to that, or let's say you don't listen to it carefully, you probably go, okay, that's grand. So basically what the Department of Education are saying is we should, that, that schools should uh, teach the full curriculum. Good, 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 good. Off we go. But listen to it properly. If you want to break it down, actually what she's saying is the ethos of a school should never stop children learning about sex except when the ethos of the school stops children learning about sex. It's exactly what she's saying. And when she says it, journalists, other TDs, or whoever is talking to her, nod their head as if she made sense. It's brilliant. She just says something that's completely unsatisfactory and no one asks her any questions. It's, I, I think it's an amazing skill. So basically, in a very long-winded way, what I'm trying to say is that the government are really good at doing very bad things and then explaining them with easily refutable reasons, which no one ever seems to do. I've also saved myself the bother of recording a separate episode of this podcast about the Flourish Programme now. So that's a bit of a win-win for me, um, in a way, though I'm not really sure you'll be very happy about this episode if you're a developing school and a devout Catholic school. But um, anyway, let's get back to the point of this podcast. <laughs> 20 odd minutes into it. Developing schools are basically screwed over all the time, as I've said, for almost everything. And it isn't just the various grants that we get every year. I remember the first time my own school got screwed over for absolutely no reason other than being a developing school. Around 2009, there was this PE grant that was given to all schools, or at least it was told to be given, that it said it was to be given to all schools. Now, I can't actually remember the reason why the grant was given, but I was all excited because my school was basically brand new. We opened in 2008. Um, and we opened in this eight classroom converted warehouse and we'd less than 25 pupils. So we basically had nothing in terms of money. We, you know, we had this biggish kind of, warehouse that cost a fortune to run uh, so any money we got had to be plowed into uh, into electricity bills and heating bills and all this kind of stuff and um, so we, we we just didn't have enough money for any equipment and if i remember correctly the, the grant was worth about a thousand euro and we had no pe equipment except for a few balls basically that people might have donated or we found i don't know in the back gardens of people i know we didn't really go into people's back gardens that's that's not true uh, anyway i remember i checked um the bank on the day the grant was supposed to be to land because we really really needed the money um you know it's kind of funny i don't actually need to do that anymore we're, we're kind of it's amazing how the school has just developed um 
to a point where you don't need to do that. But this is possibly the first time I was going to have some money to spend on something the children could use rather than paying a bill. And it never came. I waited a couple of days and I heard of schools asking what they, what they could spend it on. And a week later, I emailed uh, the Department of Education to ask if they'd forgotten about me because, you know, in fairness, I was a new school. I might not be on the lists. But it turned out for absolutely no reason whatsoever, any school that was in a new building for three years or less wasn't eligible for the grant. No reason. That's just, they said, that was the rule. So we got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, it was the same uh, with the ICT grants that started a few years ago. If you'd gotten an extension or a new building, you also weren't eligible for the grant for three years after the work was completed. Now, if you're a reasonably big school, that was potentially 20 grand you weren't getting um, just because your school had got uh, a new build. And the re again, the reason that was given is completely unsatisfactory. It's it's just a, it's a random re it's a, it's just a random reason with with no um you know there's no there's no real excuse or anything like that. It's just we just don't do it, you know. Um, however, it isn't just money where developing schools get screwed over and over again. And given that I've spent a lot of time in this episode talking about the church, it seems only fair to bring in my other favorite topic in this part for this podcast. Um, you know just, I mean, for balance or for the for the sake of the fact that I just don't feel angry enough uh, about things. So where else do you think I might go with this podcast if I'm giving out about an agency? So we've done the church. Yes, of course. It's the NCSE, my favourite organisation. Now, I know it's probably very hard to believe that the NCSE would be involved in anything that involves making cuts to children with additional needs. <laughs> no, they never do that. But, but just hear me out. Hear me out. Here's an example. Back in the hazy days of 2017, the new SET allocation model was unleashed on schools. I'm sure you remember, you know it. We call it the cluster games uh, in um, in our leadership positions. Oh, the fun we have as principals as we battle to the death to screw each other over these allocations. But the set allocation model was unleashed and everyone was suspicious at the time that it might mean that the previous cut of 15% in 2012 would be cemented into the new system, that the 15% cut that was imposed by Rory Quinn wouldn't come back and the set allocation model would just simply absorb that cut. And, uh, you know, you know, we might not notice and everyone was also suspicious that the new model would be used to make further cuts to children with additional needs. Now, don't be so stupid, said our union leaders. There won't be any cuts whatsoever for two years, said they. Uh, they honestly did say that. Um, they didn't say don't be so stupid. They did say there won't be. A, but don't be worrying. There won't be any cuts to your allocation whatsoever for two years. It was exactly what they said. And with that, everyone just shut up and said nothing. The Norma Foley rule in action again, except this time the union um, and, and the representative bodies said it. There won't be cuts for two years. No one thought to say, but what, what happens after two years? It, it's funny how nobody asks these simple questions. Uh, I did, by the way, but I, 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 I was ignored. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so basically, you know, Give a meaningless explanation, repeat it enough, and people generally stop asking questions. 
uh, is the Norma Foley rule. And in 2017, schools basically got their allocation based on some really complicated alg uh, algorithm, um, and uh, which which is basically top 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 secret. It's not just top top secret. It is very 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 secret. I, I actually requested the allocation through um, freedom of information request. Um, uh, I don't. I won't go into it. No, I will. Um, <laughs> uh, basically. Um, our, our school, uh, for example, have I said this? Um, our school basically is 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 a developing school, and basically, I we're being screwed over. Actually, I'll, I'll be talking about it in a minute, so I'll tell you a bit more in in a while. But I used an FOI request, and I was refused the freedom of information request because one of the variables is so top 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 secret that if I saw it, I would probably spontaneously combust, or more likely, make league tables. Um, out of them about schools, which is actually what would probably happen if, if someone in the press did. So it's probably a good idea for them not to release the um, algorithm. It's a disgrace they're using standardised test scores as, as part of their algorithm for these uh, resources, but that's, another, um, that's for another day's uh, work. Um, anyway, the very few schools that stood to lose a few hours in the new model were indeed spared for those two years. So there were no lies told, but it uh, but and they were spared for those two years. And for two years, these schools were very pleased very much with themselves, and they pretended that the 15% fewer hours they should have had, um, uh, you know, that were cut eight years before, there were a few years before that, oh, sure, that's, that, that's old news now, we wouldn't be worrying about that. And they were grand, and they were grand. And yes, they were grand. And that's all that really mattered. And, and, and this is the thing. When, it, when, when we're so individually school-centric, that's when, this is why things go wrong, because a few schools are grand, so they didn't complain, and they said how things were wonderful. But meanwhile, what we had was these developing schools, which accounted for way more schools than those pesky schools that were losing numbers. But don't you worry, the government had a fantastically complex algorithm uh, for these schools every year. And I'm going to share it with you now. I don't think you'll understand because it's so complex, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. If the school increased by one class, they received three hours a week allocation. And it didn't matter what the needs of the pupils were. It didn't really matter about whether they were a desk school. It didn't really matter whether it was uh, what, what the reason was. You just get three hours. That's it. Now, if the school had the audacity to increase by two classes as a developing school, a very, very developing school. They got eight hours, you see? Because three plus three is eight in the Department of Education. Now, the trouble is <laughs> that developing schools started to wonder whether this exceptionally complicated formula was doing them out of hours. It was very hard, obviously, because this is a very difficult formula to understand, but some of them figured it out. And lo and behold, some of them got together with their non-developing school friends in their area to find out what the story was. And they, they basically did the calculations based on the, um, on the various, uh, the actual original algorithm. And um, the unsurprising result was that the government's amazing algorithm to simply add three hours to their allocation ensured that they got exactly the right number of hours. 
No, of course not. No, of course they didn't. Every single developing school was getting fewer hours than their um, colleagues in developed schools. So they were getting fewer hours per pupil. So basically, the NCSE's set allocation model where they, uh, for developing, screws over developing schools. I, I get, why would you be surprised? Anyway, fast forward to a, to a, um, a few weeks ago, um, certainly at this time of the recording, the SNA front-loading model was released. Sorry? Sorry, sorry. W one second. Sorry. It's not, it's, it's not the front-loading lo it, front model, but, but they're, they're allocating SNA. Sorry, everyone, I'm just talking to the NCSE here. But, yeah, but they're allocating SNAs in exactly the same way as the front-loading model works. We even actually got a table with the school's front-loaded allocation from the NCSC. Look, do you see it? Do you, do you see it? So it's not the front-loading model. Really? I, I mean, it looks exactly like it, you know? Okay, okay. Ow! Um, sorry. You, 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 ow! Um, anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. I was just talking to someone in the NCSC there. Uh, sorry about that. Um, anyway, um, where were uh, where was I? Where was I before I I I, I was uh, uh, that chat? So we we don't have the front loading model <laughs> for SNAs. They they did they, 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 don't worry. They they were just re yeah yeah. They're, they that that was just reassuring me that this front loading of SNA allocation is definitely nothing to do with the front loading model. And in fact, it's fairly obvious now to me. <laughs> yes yes. Sorry, you don't have to. You can put the weapon down now. Thanks. Um, sorry. The, the, it's fairly obvious to me now that there's the, 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 there's a pause on the front-loading model. Yes, yes. And this model couldn't be any more different to the front-loading model. <laughs> silly me, silly, silly me. Anyway, whatever you want to call it, the SNA allocations were released last week and again all schools were told no one would lose any SNA allocations based on their numbers at the end of April Unless, of course, they were going to lose SNAs, which was just under 100 schools. But because you're not likely to be one of those schools, you probably don't care. However, you might be in a developing school, and the likelihood is you are going to expand in numbers this September. And guess how many extra SNAs your school is going to get as a result? Go on, guess. Yep, that's right. None. Absolutely none. Yes, in other words, you are getting a cut by stealth because you're a developing school. Well done you. And fear not all of you non-developing schools, you're in, some, you're in for some cuts too next year. Yes, don't feel left out. But for now, enjoy keeping what you have. Developing schools will absolutely no doubt receive no further access to SNAs because whatever algorithm they'll use will be completely arbitrary and because developing schools are in the minority, no one is going to fight for you. Oh, the fun of being a developing school. Being a developing school is a very exciting time for anyone that's ever had the pleasure of starting up a school. Let's get positive. But it is exceptionally difficult when at every turn the government do everything to ensure that you are financially less well off than schools that are not growing. On top of this, they ensure that your supports are less than those that, than developed schools. And that is less SET support per pupil. Now it's less SNA allocation because of the front-loading model or whatever they want to call it, and there's no reason for this to happen. It's hard enough growing a school, and instead of being rewarded for doing so, these schools are being punished. The only thing stopping this ridiculous problem is the Norma Foley rule. 
a completely unsatisfactory reason which is simply repeated over and over again until the question stops being asked. However, if I were the Minister for Education, I would ensure the opposite. I would scrap the Norma Foley rule and actually listen to the people asking the questions. And I would ensure that grants were paid on the school's current situations and not on their past. So that is it for this week. Um, I can't believe I spent 35 minutes on uh, on an episode which was basically pay schools on their current enrollment rather than their previous enrollment. But I did manage to throw in um, a critique of the Flourish uh, RSE program uh, as well, um, which probably you know <laughs> gave gave it a little bit of extra time. You can probably if you're you can probably. Um, Skip that if you're easily offended. Um, anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, be sure to tune in every Friday evening uh, where I will uh, take an aspect of the education system and tell you what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. The uh, podcast, if you find it by accident, can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any other podcasting app that you uh, wish to use. And all you need to do is search for On Shaw's Podcast or or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really uh, appreciate any reviews you might give. Uh, thank you so much to all the people that have been reviewing uh, the podcast over the last number of weeks. Um, it's great to see uh, the positive feedback and uh, it, 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 I suppose it keeps, keeps the old uh, ego going in some ways, but it's also nice um, to see the appreciation for what I do. Um, that's it for now. Um, if you uh, want to get in touch um, with this podcast, you can email simon at onshaw.net or you can go onto the Facebook page and argue with me. Um, to and fro, I like arguing. Uh, so we'll, we, can, we, can, we can do a bit of that. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And um, I think as I'm recording this, we're on the home stretch as such. Uh, coming to the end of June uh, next week I hope to do a special episode on um, living in a post-Covid world in schools what we'll keep and what we'll get rid of uh, so looking forward to recording that all the best now, thanks a million, bye bye